0: For today's sermon, we are going to be turning our attention to the holy couple. And maybe talking a little bit more about Joseph. Um, So let's read the passage for today. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to, to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from his He will save people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until until her son was born. And Joseph... Named him Jesus. As we're going through the Advent passages, passages, we are getting really close to the Nativity story, aren't we? By this point, we're already talking about Joseph and Mary and Mary being pregnant by an act of the Holy Spirit. And the entire situation is starting to get portrayed here for us. There is a lot of interesting things happening, I think, in terms of the teaching of this passage but there's also some cultural things that are happening here for the passage that might be worth explaining. We know that in ancient times, there was a lot of responsibility placed on marriage and the economic provision of the family. The way that families would grow and the way that wealth would grow was often through marriage. If you've seen any episodes of The Crown, especially the early ones of the early 1900s, there is all this conversation about the duke marrying the princess or this person marrying the other person, and the entire thing is political, and it's about wealth, and it is about you know having this idea of marriage being more than just loving one another. Right? This is very much kind of what's happening here still. And that was just cultural. In reality, the idea that we choose to marry each other and that we marry each other for love It's only about 100-125 years old. Before then, you married by necessity. You married because your family told you who you were to marry. In a lot of Eastern cultures, that is still the case. Very famously, uh, Indian matchmaking is a really big deal. If you have any friends who are from India or families, there's even a show uh, that talks about this idea of matchmaking. Have you ever seen any shows on conservative Israeli or Jewish cultures and tradition, that is still very much the case. In today's world, not everyone chooses who to marry. In many ways, marriage was, and still is in some cultures, a matter of necessity, of economic hardship and decisions, of political will, and just simply of trying to make your little kingdom here on earth. I am glad that we don't live in that world. I am glad that we get to choose who we marry. But it is interesting to note that what we consider marriage today is actually much more of a modern invention than what it has been for the many, many, many last ten, twenty thousand 20,000 years of human civilization and history. So here, there's something similar happening. We know that Joseph is a descendant of David. Which was a really important family in the time of Israel. We know that Mary is also related to the family of David. So in that time for them to marry within their clan or their tribe was going to be really important. But we also get some hints here and there that Joseph doesn't have a whole lot of money. Um, one of the reasons why we know this, if you skip forward a few chapters, you'll see that when Jesus was born, they bring him to the temple. And do you remember what animal they, they offered as a sacrifice? Doves. Doves. Doves were like the you can't afford a ram. If here's a dove, right? Um, and it's interesting to note that Jesus is being born to a family of humble means that don't have a lot of money. They don't come from a lot of power. This is just a very simple, blue collar, <clears throat> living paycheck to paycheck type of family. And I think one of the things, and I've talked about this, and my wife still calls me the Grinch, but one of the things that the Christmas season for us has done is it has really sanitized our stories of Christmas and Christmas time. But when you read the story, that's not what you find. We're going we're gonna to get into this. The whole Christmas story is a mess. It's not pretty. I got the Elo bean catalog like last month. Any of you got the Elo bean catalog? Man, those people are good looking. Those houses, they're pretty. Those Elo bean jackets. They, I mean, the whole thing is like the perfect Christmas, right? The children and the tobacco, Like the whole thing. I just want it all. The movies, Hallmark and Homes and Garden and the decorations, they've really portrayed for us a very sanitized version of the experience of Christmas. But what we're about to read and, and, and get into is actually really messy and scandalous it fits much mm. better into a Mexican telenovela than in any other kind of. <laughs> uh, I'm serious, right? The whole thing is scandalous. It's, it might as well be noontime TV. It is not Halloween picture perfect mm-hmm. by any means. And I hope that you have some hope of our Christmas time story coming from messiness mm-hmm. and not perfectionness we were we are one week away from Christmas and I don't know if this is the case for your family but this is around the time when I start thinking about Christmas presents while my good wife has been thinking about them for the last month a package gets delivered to my house every other day and those are gifts for the girls I have no clue what the girls get on to Christmas Day. They are just a surprise. And I swear that's the truth, ask my wife. I have no clue what we're getting the girls for for Christmas. But this is now my time in which I am done with, I'm not done with work, but you know, my work is a lot less busy for me, and now I get to start focusing on the Christmas, whatever I'm investing into Christmas in my family, right? Which is my minute. Most of the Christmas is done by by my lovely wife. in, in, in our tr- family tradition, Nicole and I usually do um, uh, stockings for each other, and that's kind of like our gift. So this is my week to go get the, the shampoo and, uh, <laughs> and the and, and something extra little special in there. I haven't gotten it, and knowing Nicole, she probably already has a few of those things ready for me. If your <laughs> life is anything like mine, this next week is the week of craziness the week of planning a menu, the week of the anxiety leading up to the trip whenever you're gonna go visit your family, the week of packing, worse yet, of washing clothes so that you have clothes to pack. It is craziness, right? This is a tough week sometimes. It is full of going from thing to thing to thing. And we so often get lost in that everything that we're doing that we can lose sight of what was happening during the actual Christmas week time, and we can lose sight of that love and the message of love that God has for us. Mm. So, I am hoping that one of the things that this verse and these verses do for us is that they help us to recenter the meaning of this Christmas time for me and for you. I am hoping that. We recapture these traditions for us and reclaim them as the source of hope and peace and joy and love that the Christmas and the Advent season really is and should be for us. So here we have Matthew telling us the story of Mary and Joseph. Mary, we talked about this last week. She is likely 15, 16 years old. That was pretty common in that time for them to be engaged around that time. We don't know how old Joseph was, but there is a possibility that maybe he was a little older. And we, this is conjecture. And, and the reason why we can kind of get to this is for two reasons. One... We know that really after around Jesus was 12 years old when he's visiting the temple and arguing with the, with the, with the priest. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I love this yeah. idea of this smart ally Jesus just arguing back and forward. Um, we don't hear much more about Joseph afterwards. And he doesn't appear in the gospel ministry in the three years of Jesus' time. It is likely then that potentially he has, he has died and he's no longer around So if he died, and assuming that he died of natural causes, people would die in that time. From what we know, around 50 to 60 years old, that's the expectation. Um, And if Joseph is not very rich, then he would normally be waiting a little bit later in life to get married. The reason why is because when you get engaged, you're supposed to give the father of the bride a gift. And it can be cattle, it can be property, it can be you know, a house, it can be something. You're suppo- There's supposed to be an exchange. If the father of the bride is giving you his bride, his, his daughter, you're supposed to give him something in return. And of course, if you're poor, at 18 years of age, you're not going to have much to give. So it is likely that he might have waited until he was, I don't know, 20, 25, 30, and he had made for himself a little bit of wealth so that he can then give that and buy a bride. And... I hate to use that language, but that is the cultural language, right? There is this sense of the exchange, and you need to have something to have the exchange. So Joseph is potentially a little bit older. And again, all that's conjecture. We don't know. They might have been the same age. As long as he was older than 12 or 13, he was legally allowed to be married. Can you imagine It's just crazy, crazy. But because of the economic needs for marriage, it is very unlikely that 13 and 14-year-old men were marrying, unless they came from a lot of wealth. In that case, then they probably were. Anyways, craziness. Um, So Mary is engaged to to this man, Joseph, but before the marriage takes place, Mary, still a virgin, she becomes pregnant. Now, in ancient times, marriage, similar to today but different, has two steps. One is be, uh, betrothal or engagement. And when you were engaged, you, there was already the exchange, right? I already give the father the, the, the money or the possession or whatever, and he gives me the promise that I will marry his daughter. Normally, it would take about a year, depending, again, on means. Part of the reason why is because you have to plan a multi-day party. Part of the reason why is because you want to let the message be known around the town. And because families and everyone around the town is going to come and join you for this multi-day party. So there is a lot of preparation that has to go into place in order for you to get married. So at this point, you're not married yet, but you're engaged. And you're not allowed, even in today's time, you're not allowed to cheat on your fiancé, right? If you cheat on him, you will be committing adultery. So then what happens is that Mary, during this time of of engagement, she becomes pregnant. And this is where I'm talking about the Mexican telenovela, right? This is two lovers, and one of them is suddenly pregnant. This is scandalous. This is as scandalous as it can get for a culture that relishes this idea of of virginity and purity Mm -hmm. and of being able to bear children. This is scandalous. So Joseph has two options, really. The most sensical option is to say, she has cheated on me. What the law would demand is for Joseph to grab Mary, bring her to the town, and accuse her of adultery. And then, because she's pregnant and the proof is in the pudding, you will realize that she in fact did cheat. Interestingly, all it takes is his word to say it's not mine, and that was enough for her to be found guilty, and then she will be stoned. That's what the law required, that's what righteousness required. But the text says that Joseph was a righteous man and a love that there's a difference between being righteous and being legalistic. To be legalistic would have required Joseph to do the first option. That's what the law required. But Joseph did not have his hope on the letter of the law. He had his hope on the love that he had for his God, and in this case, for Mary. So instead, he goes with option B which is to quietly divorce her and just let her kind of live her life. To be clear, this would mark Mary for the rest of her life as someone who is no longer eligible to marry anyone good enough. Not a good, not a good guy, for sure. She would have to marry someone that was already widowed or someone that was a known cheater. Like, this was putting Mary in peril later on, but at the very least, it was saving her life. And that's what Joseph decided to do. He's like, you know what? She cheated on me. She's pregnant. I am not going to have her be killed. Instead, I'm just going to let her go, and I'm going to continue on about my life. This whole thing, I can just imagine the amount of psychological pressure and stress that Joseph must have been under when he (coughs) found out that his fiancé was pregnant. They were doomed, one way or another. They were both doomed. As he considered this, verse 20 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, again, remembering his genealogy. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. At this point, Joseph is really faced with an interesting choice, isn't it? He's asleep, he's having a dream, an angel of the Lord is talking to him, and he's saying, hey, your wife isn't pregnant, but she did not cheat on you. This is a, this is a child coming from God, Take her and take the child and name him. If you were to name someone in ancient times that was taking possession over them, so adopt him and name him Jesus. In Aramaic or Hebrew, Joshua, which translates to Savior. Name this baby who is potentially a baby out of wedlock, and it is not yours. Name him Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. This baby who is potentially out of sin is going to be the savior of the people from their sins. And Joseph has two options. He either believes this, and this is just something between him and God. No one else was present. I was thinking about this story all week, and I was like, you know what? If at least the angel has shut up in the middle of the town and said this publicly, I'll be like, all right, all right, yeah, I can do this. I get it but if I'm just sleeping and I have a dream and this is what I'm hearing I'm like uh uh people are going to think I'm nuts yeah I am not doing this this is crazy and that's the choice that Joseph had to make but he was a righteous man and he believed the angel and he believed God and he does it he takes Mary as his wife. And from what we gather, he probably rushed the wedding a little bit. Because what happens is you're engaged so you don't live together. But then, when you uh, and, and if you're not um, living together, you're not cohabitating, if you know what I mean. But then, what you're you're allowed to cohabitate once you live together. But you're not allowed to live together until the marriage has happened. You're engaged, you have to get married before you cohabitate. So in order for him to protect her and her dignity, the right thing to do was for him to marry her as soon as possible, before she started showing. So he rushes the wedding likely, and they have the celebration, potentially. And maybe it was not as perfect as planned, Maybe the dress was not fully done. Maybe the, the, the ram was not fully done growing. Maybe all the pies were not fully baked. Maybe all the people that wanted to come to the wedding was not able to make it to the wedding. But he has a, a marriage ceremony and takes her in and calls her his wife. And then we know later on from the Luke story that the the emperor of the time is asking for a census. So So then together they go to the town of Bethlehem. And we continue to know that they're not people of means because they didn't have enough money to have a hotel reservation and to actually be able to stay in an inn. So they're not able to actually find a room for them at that point. But in the middle of all this, Joseph... Is trusting God. And when Jesus is born, Joseph grabs Jesus and he names him Joshua, Savior. Quite ironic, isn't it? A baby that has cost you the most stress than any other situation in your life potentially, you're about to name him Savior. A season of your life that is full of anxiety, and stress, and rushing things, and getting parties together, and cooking huge meals when it is not time, and trying to figure everything out, and trying to care and not care about what people think, and trying to follow God in the middle of all of that, this baby will be born, and you are to call Him Savior. That is the context. Of the Christmas time story. It is not perfect. It is not what you and I would have potentially imagined. It is this really complicated. Humble mean story and family. Who are just trying to listen to God. And do the right thing. Even though it doesn't seem like it's the right thing. And they are coming together. And following God's word for them. And all of this so that the prophecy would be fulfilled. Verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. So a couple lessons from this story from us. One, Jesus often comes to us in the middle of our messy world. When Jesus came, he came to save us from our sins, not necessarily from messiness. (laughs) Sometimes we conflate salvation from sin with salvation from messiness. And that is not the case. Life is and can be really messy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are sinning or that sin is involved. And sometimes it is But God's salvation for you and for me is of your sins, not of your messiness. Hmm. This week, if you're traveling anywhere, it's going to be messy. The airport, the packing, the getting out, the being welcomed. If people are coming into your home, it's going to be messy. Literally, the house is going to be messy. Right? Our salvation is not out of the circumstances around us but of our sins out of the ways that we have missed the mark. So one of my challenges for you this week is to consider the way in which you have a relationship to sin and to your sins this week. Are you ruled by your sins? Or have you confessed those sins and let God's mercy and forgiveness rule over you? Amen. I don't know about you, but for me, I often miss the mark and and I yell at my children, or or I'm bitter, or I don't make a good choice. And I think about it and think about it and think about it. And before you know it, it's been days, and my entire identity is wrapped up around the bad choices I have made. But Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Mm. Doesn't mean that life is not messy. But Jesus has come to save us from our sins. So, lesson one as you're getting ready to receive this Christmas time Advent season, may you be fully aware that you have been saved from your sins and that your sins are not part of your identity anymore. Mm. They're not victorious over you, they're not lords over you, they don't rule over you. They are a part of you, but they're not who you are. You belong to the Savior. Amen. And two, Jesus is our Emmanuel, mm-hmm. our God with us. Mm-hmm. In the middle of this really complicated season where we're spending a lot of money, where people are traveling, when we're cooking this big meal... I was thinking about this for Thanksgiving uh, th- a couple of weeks ago. We spent literally hours cooking this amazing meal that we ate in 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right? It's true. And then afterwards, we spent hours washing dishes. Mm-hmm. This is the week when we start doing this. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I, I swear I'm not the Grinch. Like, like welcome it and-, and be a part of it. But in the middle of it, Know that God is with you. Amen. That the infinite God of the universe so loved us Mm. that God gave God's self up and incarnated into a baby of a really humble family (coughs) to be loved by a family, to be worshipped by shepherds because God wanted to be. With you. The message of Christmas for us is the presence and the nowness of Christ with us. Amen. This season, as you're going through the airport, Christ is with you. This season, as you're buying gifts, Christ is with you. This season, as you might be getting into a complicated conversation with maybe a family member that you kind of clash with, Christ is with you. As you're picking up the house, yet again, Christ is with you. As you're traveling to and from work, and buying groceries, and picking up your kids, and making the beds, and washing clothes, Christ is with you. Amen. The reminder of the Christmas season for us is that God is with us. That Jesus is the full symbol and representation. Christ with us. And I just love that it is Christ with us in the middle of a really, really messy family, dynamic, economic, political situation going on with the Holy Family. Mm -hmm. If your life is anything like theirs, if it is not L.L. being picture perfect, welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the long traditions of messy Christmas time meals and seasons and celebrations. So, as you go out this week, remember two things. One, Jesus has already saved you from your sins. Mm-hmm. It is just a matter of us waking up to the realization of our salvation, the offer is there. Mm. Just embrace the freedom that you have found in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Do not be ruled and lord by your sins. And know and recognize that every single second, every single moment of this week, of this season, and of course of the whole year. God, Jesus is our Emmanuel. God is with us. Christ is with you. Amen. You're never apart from Christ. Amen. You're never away from Christ. You cannot hide from the presence of Christ. Christ is with you at every single second. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Mm-hmm. Father in heaven, we we are so thankful for this gift of love that you have given us. The gift of salvation. The gift of the entire deity, and the infinite God, in the body of a tiny human baby. Born to a really humble family, and a family that was struggling to kind of put it all together. We're thankful that you do not require perfection out of us. You require faithfulness. So, God, we ask that in this season and as we get ready to finalize the Advent season, that you will transform our hearts to be hearts that are walking in faithfulness every single step. God, we bring our messy lives to you. And we ask you that you, were, that you would redeem them and transform them for your honor and your glory. Amen. So in this week, as we go about this week and this season, we cry out for your Lordship in our lives, and we confess our sin because we do not want to be ruled by those sins. We want to be ruled by your love and your mercy and your tenderness and compassion. Let us be tender, compassionate people this week. Amen. May your mercy flow through us to those around us. Amen. And Father, we ask that we would be aware of the nearness that you are around us. You are here with us. It is Christ with us at every single second. So especially as things get a little bit stressed this week, as we're getting ready for dinners and and special events and things happening around us, may we be aware that your Son is with us. Amen. We ask for your protection, for your protection of our souls, of our bodies, our minds. Protect our families and our houses. May we rest in who you are and in the promises that you have spoken for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.